Seinfeld, the sniffing accountant, is over, but we're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap, a podcast about nothing. And now, here are the two guys who never wear mohair. I'm Rob Sestino. Here's Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? Oh, you know I wouldn't wear it. We were just talking about this last week. It's too itchy. Too itchy mohair. Are you allergic? I'm not allergic to anything. Whoa. Except hard, except hard work. Look at you. Wow, Akiva. So here we are. Why are you are you allergic to something? I'm allergic to cats. Yeah, I would. I I was actually like, I'm not a big cat fan or a dog fan, like as pets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was thinking, like, my kids always ask for them. I should have. I should have like gone. You know, when I got married, I should have told my wife that I'm allergic to cats and dogs. Like, she wouldn't. It's not like she would take me to get tested. Yeah, we just, you know, it never would have come up. Like, can the kids get a dog? It, it just it, that would have been it. Yeah, I'm allergic to cats. Some dogs, probably a dander thing. I'm not exactly quite sure what that is, but that sounds about right. We'll go with that. Yeah, I, you're allergic to your dog. Anytime you talk about your dog, it's it's with you know disdain. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> But anyway, Akiva, so here we are, Sniffing Accountant, and spoiler alert, I actually really liked Sniffing Accountant. Yeah, this could be the most underrated episode of the whole series. I know that's crazy, but... You know, I probably have only seen this, like, once, this episode, and I was under the impression it was a bad episode, but I really enjoyed this on the rewatch. Yeah, this, you know, in, in, a, in a standard, like, rankings of, uh, you know, if people were doing, like, a normal, like, uh, cumulative, like, 1 to 168 ranking, this wouldn't even be close to the top 100, uh, it would probably be in the bottom 20, um, but it, there's just so many good moments in it. It's definitely not anywhere near a perfect episode, but and, you know, it doesn't tie together well. And yeah. there's a couple of weird things that we're going to complain about. But there, like I was laughing out loud a bunch oh, of times. Yeah. During no, this episode. I rarely laugh out loud. And there was one point where I was really cracking up during this episode. And so we'll talk about it. it might be just the thing about when you have low expectations that things are always so much better. So maybe that was the case here with the sniffing accountant. Yeah, that's my rule. You know that. Yeah, mine too. All right, Akiva. So before we get into the sniffing account, and of course, this is the episode where Jerry and Kramer and Newman are under the impression that the person handling their money might be into drugs, and George is going to potentially get a job as a brazier salesman. We'll talk about all that today. But Akiva, do you have any Seinfeld news for us? Uh, sure. Not the most classic news, but the real big Seinfeld like meme type thing going around this week was somebody uh, took Kanye West's speech at the uh, at the MTV Video MA. You know, vi- I guess Video MA is like saying uh, run. I don't know. It you know that's uh, superfluous, but it's the VMA Awards and uh, sort of dubbed up uh, the Seinfeld music with like a Seinfeld laugh track. So after everything Kanye says, they basically turn it into like a what's the deal, even though he's Kanye's being serious. And it's worth watching. It's really funny the way they did it. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and check that out. Akiva, I know you're a big VMAs guy. Well, I, I, let's just say I didn't watch it there. I, you know, this came across my screen via Twitter, not, uh, not, via, via, not via the v- VMAs, <laughs> which I did not watch. I did watch them in the 90s when it was like, uh, you know, like Korn and Metallica. I feel like... There's probably not one rock band nowadays uh, on the VMAs. Yeah. They, why, there, no U2 at the VMAs this year, Akiva? U2 would be 10 times harder rock than anybody. I don't even think, like, the, like Justin Bieber was, like, the most hardcore guy they had <laughs> on the list I saw. And you love the Biebs. Uh I, I tolerate the Biebs. I didn't like that he cried during the VMAs. Oh, yeah. All right, if I give more info, people are going to think I actually watched it. Yeah. Is there anything else? Any other news items this week? 
Uh, no. I mean, should we do tweets of the week? Oh, yeah. Give me a one Seinfeld tweet of the week. Okay. Well, here we have uh, n- not a great week for Seinfeld tweets, but we have at CB Grandy who says, uh, how much power could we generate if we burned all our old and unused Seinfeld spec scripts? <laughs> Mm. And uh, Jamie Griffith 80 says, uh, in related to this episode, the contest opposite and marine biologist are all classics. But for me, there's no greater episode than the sniffing account. <laughs> That's truer <laughs> words were never spoken. <laughs> all right. Well, let me give you the Seinfeld trivia question of the week from my Seinfeld scene it. Who is the oldest of the main four cast members? Oh, Michael Richards. That is correct. Good job, Akiva. Yeah, that I think we've mentioned before. We've gone through their ages. All right. So here we go. Let's get into it. Sniffing accountant. And let's go all the way back to October 7th, 1993. So coming up on what? The 22 year anniversary of the sniffing accountant. Yeah, I was 10 years old. Wow. So here we go. So the stand up here is Jerry talking about how when you're a grown up, the closest thing to your parents is the government and he starts talking about the process of being audited and basically he starts comparing it to leave it to beaver and he says that that you are wally and the beave in an audit and your accountant is like eddie haskell and your parents are going through everything so is this lost on you the leave it to beaver references uh, yeah, my note for the stand-up was uh, ask Rob what the hell Jerry's talking about. Yeah, it's funny. I, I enjoyed this uh, stand-up. It's probably super dated in terms of the Leave it to Beaver references, but I think it's at least a funny idea about how the government is your parents and they're auditing you and going through your stuff. Yeah, he lost me there, Jerry. I, I didn't have it. Fine. So here we go. Starting this episode off, we're in the side table. What do you think of side table versus the regular table? Is there like a production reason why they use the side table at Monk sometimes? It's a good question. I guess it's better for when the guests come in. Maybe you have a better angle. Of, I don't. I, I have no idea. To me, it's like a little disconcer- disconcerting, and I like them at the normal table. I like them at the normal table also, but I wonder, though, if you do the side table, I have to go back and watch the episode – I wonder if you don't have to staff the rest of monks with extras if you shoot at the side table. Oh, so it's like, oh, we need to save money this week. We're spending too much money. Either save money or they needed to maybe pick up the shot and whatever, and they didn't have all of the extras there, and they just shoot at the side table. I have to look and see if you can see people in the background or not when you use the side table. Yeah, now that you say it, it's possible there's little to no extras in in the shot, but... To me, it's still like, come on, you're Seinfeld guys. Let's uh, spend the extra 50 bucks and let's go back to the regular table. So if that's not disconcerting enough, we also have Jerry in this very unusual sweater throughout this episode. Yeah, I mean, it itches me just looking at it. Yeah, it looks very itchy. And so Elaine starts talking about this guy that she met who we will come to know as Jake Jarmel. And I feel like Elaine is getting a little conceited in her pickup of Jake Jarmel. Yeah, she's conceded this whole scene because she's also ragging on George half the time and talking about Jake the other half. She's on a real high. And so she talks about Jake Jarmel. And the reason that she was able to meet him is that he touched her fabric. And that was like the go-to pickup line that he used. He just like sort of felt her fabric and that started the conversation. Yeah, and uh, touching fabric is not recommended at home. 
It's not recommended at home. It doesn't work out well for anybody else that tries it. But Elaine was very taken with the fabric touching move. Now, in fairness, we've seen Elaine picked up a number of times so far through the series, including when Crazy Joe Davola just started singing at her randomly. So it seems like the more absurd your move is in picking up Elaine, the more likely she is to date you. Yeah, we should. I should go back and make a list uh, and not put it on medium because that site sucked. But I should make a list of of like how like because Elaine, Elaine goes out with like 30 something guys during the series, yeah. like how they picked her up, like how they met. And like and then then like, we'll, you know, we'll have Chester make an Excel uh, spreadsheet of like how the relationships work. Like, you know, did it last a few episodes? And if so, it was probably like a crazy way that they met. And if it was more conventional, they were done by like the end of the first scene. Yeah. So there's a funny line that George asks Jerry about, hey, where'd you get that sweater? And Jerry says, oh, it's in the back of my closet. And George says, yep, that's what the back of closets are for. It's true, right? When you move out, you know, you always find like, oh, I didn't know I owned that. And then instead of throwing it out, you just throw it in the back of your new closet. Yeah. I started doing a thing when I moved six months ago is that I hung up all the shirts in my closet and then I put everything on a hanger facing backwards. And then like in, uh, you know, six months, whenever I'm going to go back and take a look at all the shirts that I didn't wear over the course of the year. And then I just want to get rid of all of them. But don't you sometimes like take out a shirt and then be like, oh, I'm not going to wear that today. At least too hot or it too was cold. in consideration. That's like the equivalent of at least the guy was up in the bullpen. He didn't get okay. him into the it game. But he got up in the bullpen. Then at the end of the season, I just want to see, all right, who didn't even get up to warm up in a game? All right. All you guys are off the team. No use. Uh, you're, for you're, you're cutting down from 90 to 53. That's right. That's right. So we find out about this guy that Elaine, I guess, went to college with. Is that the relationship? That is, that's the implied relationship. Yeah. Okay. So this guy, he just does Elaine's taxes, but he handles all of Jerry's money. And there's some weird stuff going on where he handles all of Jerry's money, some of Kramer's money, and a little bit of Newman's money. I mean, have you ever heard of a bunch of guys going in together on a CD? No, it's weird, right? Like, it's one thing if there's, like, some stock tip, like we've seen before, and, and you know, a group of friends is splitting it. I think that's normal. That's normal. But, right, for... Th- well, more... That's It's not unusual if everyone gets the same stock tip. You know, hey, we'll all go in 100 bucks, or we'll all go in 1,000 bucks, or whatever. Wow. But... I mean, it, it, it's happened, I think. I guess so. It happened in the stock tip. It happened in Seinfeld. Yes, but, that's true. But, uh, you know, for Kramer, who ostensibly has no money, and Newman, who is Jerry's arch enemy, to be going in with Jerry, like, in a three-way money, you know, and it's a money manager. Like, I don't even, like, this guy is, like, he's he's a pencil pusher. He's, he's not necessarily, like, a guy who, you know, he's not, like, an investment bank or anything. I don't know. Yeah, like he's more of an accountant. I'm not so sure that this guy is, you know, should be your uh, the one, you know, the guy making like the big decisions in the first place. So there's a lot of there's a lot of real question marks here. Yeah, it's really weird. And then also we find out that it's a CD that so isn't that money. And again, I'm no financial expert. Isn't that money that really can't be touched if it's in a CD? I think so. I mean, there's probably a lot of different types of CDs and I really don't know anything about finance stuff either. Yeah, but it's and it's also like a pretty low like risk low reward type thing so right you know even ba- even Barry Profit I don't think could have screwed that well, up well that's what I want to ask you about don't you think it's odd that this guy's name is Barry Profit like shouldn't that have been the first tip off that this guy is a shyster that basically if this guy was going to be 
a WWE character who was a money manager, <laughs> wouldn't his name be Barry Prophet? Uh, I, I think, and, and like when you see the letter that Newman uh, is going to mail him. Yes. I believe it's spelled P-H-E-T. So it's weird that they call him Barry Prophet when in reality, uh, you know, and then, then they didn't even bother to spell it that way or make a single joke or any reference to it in the whole episode. My only guess is because we learned that this is based on something that really happened to Jerry that obviously bothered him at the time. I mean, 50 grand now is like what his lemonade stand probably lost when he got when he got right. arrested or whatever last week. But like, but back then, it clearly, you know, they made this episode. It was clearly something that bothered Jerry. Um, I do wonder if it's like a play on the name of the guy whose name we don't actually know. Yeah. Is that possible? That's certainly possible, yes. And as Akiva is alluding in the inside look, we find out that this actually did happen to Jerry Seinfeld, where his accountant really did take $50,000 and spend it on drugs. Did he spend it on drugs or did he just lose it? He said that he put it up his nose in the inside look. Yeah, that's true. It's funny because even the Wikipedia is like super dancing around like there's never been any proof of this like that Jerry's provided, but... Seinfeld's always maintained. I mean, Jerry says that I this is a guy that I hate. So Jerry doesn't really talk in those terms very often. No, it's true. You could tell like Jerry almost like, all right, I have to make my money back by greenlighting this episode, you know, to get back at this guy. Hey, who got the last laugh? I think Jerry made well over $50,000 from making the sniffing accountant. Uh, yeah, I think Barry Profits probably the, the actor at this point has made over $50,000 just from this episode. So you would think so. So here comes Barry Profit. He pops into Monks and he's talking to Jerry and, he, and he's like... <laughs> And he ends up having to also use the restroom. And he's sort of an odd character. I mean, there's not really anything, any character traits about him. He's just one of these people. He's kind of just there. He sniffs. And that's about it. And so he uses the restroom. And Jerry mentions about how he has all of the money. You don't think that he could potentially be into drugs. I mean, I guess it was that type of time. It was still early 90s. I guess cocaine was very prevalent in New York City. So like, it was something that you know, people were suspecting, especially people who didn't do cocaine. They don't know what to look for. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kramer, we know Kramer is into all sorts of drugs, so he should know, but maybe he's not letting it on. And I think that there's also a mythology of people like in the financial industry, potentially getting into that. That's sort of like a wild lifestyle for people like going to Wall Street and stuff like that. Yeah, the Wolf of Wall Street type of life. Right, right, right. And then before we get out of the scene, Elaine uh, hits George pretty hard about making fun of him for living with his parents. Yeah. When George says he's getting going, Elaine says, don't don't forget to wash your hands before supper. Yeah. That was uncalled for, right? Yeah, she's being mean. You know, confidence does not, you know, show well in Elaine. On any of our characters. No, they're best when they're being beaten down to the ground. Yeah. All right. So we see George with his parents. And this is sort of a funny extended scene about first uh, Frank Costanza is getting on George for using too much ketchup. And it turns out that George bought his own ketchup just so he could put as much on as he wants. Now, is he having an American salami sandwich for dinner? Yeah, what are they eating? I'm not sure. I don't know. I never quite was able to tell. I didn't look that closely, though. I mean, it would have been very uh, Estelish to, you know, give them some bologna. Right. So it's possible. So we hear from Frank that he got a call from Phil Kazakoff, and apparently he is a bra salesman, and he is getting George an interview to work in the Brazier store. Uh, yeah. So, th- right. This is Frank's uh, friend, probably his only friend. Yes. And, uh, and so now, you know, Frank wants to know what George knows about bras. 
but I don't really understand what the relationship is that Frank says he talks to this guy, Phil Kazakoff. When George goes on the interview, he interviews with Farkas. Right. And then Farkas's boss is Ms. De Grandmont or something like that. Yeah. Her name is like the name of the company. So I don't know who Phil Kazakoff is. I mean, this is a big corporate, you know, structure, Rob. Like Kazakoff is above Farkas, but below the lady. Got it. So Frank wants to know, does George know anything about Braziers? Yes, he says. I, this scene is amazing, Rob. <laughs> It's a great scene. Really one of the most forgotten scenes. Like, who whoever talks about this, but it's great. <laughs> so, <laughs> what do you have to know about the bras? And he wants Estelle to go get one of her bras to give to George. Yeah, and this is really, and you know, we've only seen now, this is only like his second like real episode, Frank. And, you know, this is like our first great interaction between Estelle and Frank and Frank and George and, you know, George and Estelle. Yeah. Everything here is gold. And Frank is quizzing George, what is a bra made out of? And George says the answer is lycra spandex. And Frank says, no, that is not correct. Estelle thinks he is right. She thinks it is lycra spandex. Yeah, so she goes to get the bra. And then Frank is really great going through the cup sizes of the bra. You know about the cup sizes, right? (laughs) There's the A. (laughs) There's B. There's C. And the biggest is D. (laughs) (laughs) And George. (laughs) Yeah. He says he based his whole life on knowing the fact that D is the biggest. That's his mantra. Yeah. All right. So Estelle ends up coming back with the bra and then he's going through the bra. It's very, it's very, very funny. Um, The bra is being passed around. Ultimately, George gets ketchup on the bra. And Estelle's trying to clean up. So it's very, very funny. I mean, really nothing happens in this scene, but it's very funny. Right. The only thing that happens is we're setting up the interview. Yeah. The rest isn't essential to the scene. But again, you know, this is this is a rare example that ha- starts happening much more often as the series goes on. Of Like, let's just put in something really funny, even if it doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, tie into like the end of the of the episode. So it's not going to work out for George. But do you think he was actually excited about being a brassiere salesman? I think initially... Uh, he would have, uh, and first of all, I don't even know what this means because I don't think there's a lot of like, I've never gone in like to Victoria's Secret or anything shopping, but like, I don't think there's a lot of like 33 year old bald dudes hanging around selling bras. So like, would he be like a more of an office, like buying and selling bras like to different stores? No, I feel like in maybe 1992, I don't think that the, or 1993, I don't think that the Victoria's Secret thing has really caught on. Like, I don't think that there were, stores that were really set up to for women to go buy like attractive underwear i think it was sort of like department store and like you know sort of specialty store and i think it was all very boring and like clinical and they were buying they were buying them from bald dudes i think so i mean i think it was it was sort of like the same thing as a shoe store wow women have really gone far in 20 years because this would never happen now <laughs> no, it would never happen now but maybe george felt like he was getting in on something like the uh, you know the final days of men selling underwear to women I, I do think like part of it was maybe that he'd meet a woman cuz he'd be interacting with women all day right. he's probably excited about that right but he would bail on this job very quickly knowing george yeah I mean, he really goes all out in the interview with Farkas later on. I feel like that maybe he just feels like, hey, this is a job that involves talking to women about their unmentionables. He'd be able to mention them. 
<laughs> yeah, I think, uh, yeah, maybe this is his dream job. Maybe this is, you know, like he really hits a, a like a grand slam on the interview. Like he really knocks out of the park. So yeah, maybe this was what he was meant to do. My question about the interview when we get there is how much is that completely fictional? What he tells Mr. Farkas. Like, I mean, you can never tell. It's George. <laughs> I feel like it was probably about like 75% real. Yeah, there was definitely, you know, George can spice it up a little bit. Yeah. But some of that felt like uh, like there was no need to lie about some of that, you know, specific detail. Okay. We go back to Jerry and Kramer in the apartment. And Jerry is trying to let Kramer know that maybe Barry Prophet might be up to something. A lot of sniffing with his nose. Yeah, and Kramer, listen, Kramer, if anybody knows anything about drugs, we've established it's Kramer. <laughs> yeah, we've Kramer. established that. And so <laughs> He could be dealing to Barry Prophet. He could be. So we find out that Kramer was in on this CD also. Kramer also, did he use a lot of slang? When he left, did he say, <laughs> I'm splitting? That's what every Coke user says nowadays. Yeah. Did he use the bathroom? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, that's a bad sign. Yeah, my wife is on a lot of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> and so Jerry doesn't want this itchy sweater anymore, and he gives it to Kramer. Important plot point. Very important. You don't even realize it. That's how subtle it is. So we see Elaine back at her apartment, a rare glimpse of Elaine's apartment. I feel like we weren't even there at all in season four. No, and you know, she hasn't broken up with the uh with the actress waitress yet, but uh she will soon. But yeah, she's not in the picture either. All right. So Jake Jarmel, what a guy. He cleaned Elaine's whole apartment that he cooked. He took messages. Looks like he made pigs in a blanket. I don't know if that's that romantic of a thing to make for Elaine, but that's what's on the counter. Yeah, that's not a classic sort of like, yeah, you want to make some sort of fancy pasta, right? With like special sauce or something like that. But I like maybe he doesn't know how to cook. You know, maybe his options were limited. Or maybe Elaine doesn't have any ingredients in her house. That's very possible as well. So we end up getting the messages and one of Elaine's friends had a baby. And so Elaine is very excited. But when Jake Jarmel gives her the message, she notices something odd in the way that he took the message. He didn't use an exclamation point. Uh, yeah, and I have very strong feelings about this. Oh, you do? Honest. Okay, what are your strong feelings about it? Well, I, I never used exclamation points on anything. But then I realized, like, oh, you can just lie and pretend to be excited about things and make people happy. Yeah. It's so, like someone just emailed me and I like I didn't really care. But I wanted to pretend to be excited. So I'm like, oh, thank you, exclamation point, just now. I'm big into the exclamation points, yeah, in my emails. But now I don't know when you're serious or not. Sorry, Akiva. <laughs> well, I mean, not for me. That's I'm crazy. Just nobody knows. But yeah. do you, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like the exclamation point is way overused. So I, I really, I, I side with Jake here. It's way overused. It's way saturated. But what can you do? How much punctuation should you be using on a... First of all, how old school is it writing a note for like uh, who called? Right, right. Oh, can I ask you a, fo- a quick phone, like a 2015 phone etiquette question? Sure. If, okay, so let's say your wife runs out of the house for 30 seconds. Okay, let's say she goes to the car or she's coming out of the shower in like a minute and her phone rings. Her cell phone? Her, her cell phone rings. I mean, what are you guys, monsters? You have a house phone? <laughs> we do have a house <laughs> phone, but we have really lousy uh, cell phone reception here. Oh, really? Okay, so her cell phone rings. I just recently got a house phone here. Fancy pants, wow. Or, oh, I think it's like more of an old person thing now. It's not even fancy. Right. Um, and so, uh, what's called? So your her phone rings, and let's say it's her mom or her sister or whatever. 
and you, you, it's not a call she would ignore, but it's also not like they're, you know, they're, you know, in the middle of labor and it's a super emergency or anything like that, right? Yeah. So you know it's a call she's going to take. Do you answer her phone and make small talk for a minute while she comes out, you know, back in the house or out of the bathroom or whatever? Or do you let it go and say, hey, you missed the call. I didn't touch it. If it's her mom or somebody that I know, but if it's an unknown number, no, I never would. No, of course. Obviously, you're not going to answer an unknown number. But if it's like mm-hmm. a mom or a sister or uh, I guess a friend would be a different category. Yeah. But somebody you know, you answer the phone? I would do it if it was my in-laws. I wouldn't do it if it was a friend. Okay. Yeah, because I, my wife will be super annoyed. Like She'll be like, the phone was ringing. Why didn't you answer? I'm like, nobody answers another person's phone in you know in 2015 like that's i would be annoyed if someone answered my phone because first of all i wouldn't be picking up most of the time in the first place but like why you know that's not we're past that now don't you know don't answer someone's phone and then like i gotta make small talk and then they're disappointed it's not like they're happy i answered they're like oh they meant to call my wife and now they got to speak to me so nobody wins i don't get it i hear that i hear it so we end up with elaine getting into a little bit of a tiff with jake jarmel because she says to him, oh, I just thought you would have used the exclamation point. It's nothing. I, I found it curious, though. And he says, well, maybe I don't use my exclamation points as much as you do. He doesn't like exclamation points. You know, if Jake was really smooth here, he would have said, like, Myra had the baby. But the way she sounded, like, maybe it was, like, a little premature. It wasn't healthy. I wasn't sure. So I didn't want to sound too excited. Um or maybe she doesn't know who the dad is and it's like not a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> oh my God, this is a dark story. <laughs> I'm just saying like, just like I, I wasn't sure based on her tone. So I wanted to just keep it calm. But I, now that I know like, oh, it's such a great news that Myra had the baby. Now, like I understand that it should have had an exclamation point. He could have worked his way out of this. Okay. All right. And by the way, Rob, that Myra's baby come, comes back right into play next week. Oh, wow. Because that's the baby. That's the baby from the Brits. They're really putting stuff together in season five. Yeah, they really do. <laughs> So this continues to boil over between Jake and Elaine. And then he says to her finally, like, well, put an exclamation point on here. I'm leaving. He should have said it as a question. <laughs> I'm leaving? I'm leaving? I'm Ron Burgundy? So we see Elaine and Jerry. And Elaine is now eating like a half gallon of ice cream in Jerry's apartment. Now, does this imply that Elaine is depressed? Maybe that's like, that's such an old stereotype, like a girl, someone breaks up with her and she eats a lot of ice cream, right? That is a stereotype, but it didn't seem like she's that upset about it. It's almost like, seems like she's happy that she's not with him because she says that she found it very troubling he didn't use the exclamation point. Right. But she was in this amazing relationship like six hours ago. Six minutes ago. Like he cleaned oh, her whole right? apartment. No. Oh, I don't know. But she went thing. right over because he left. Oh, she I have no leave. idea. This could be the next step. I have no idea. They really should have like a two days later thing or something on the bottom of the screen. That would really make our lives easier. They'd get themselves talk to Jerry too much about trouble that one. with that. Yeah. Well, that's true. There would be like a lot of recurring timelines because sometimes maybe episodes happen. Things in uh, one episode happens like during another episode, but we don't realize it. So I'm not sure. Okay. So <laughs> we end up with Kramer coming in. And he wants to know anything new with the guy on drugs. And Elaine is insistent. Barry Prophet is not on drugs. They call his office. He's not there. He's in South America. Yeah. Uh, can we also mention like Kramer walks in and Kramer gets a huge ovation, even Middle though we've seen a bunch of Kramer already. It's yeah, crazy. It the ovations crazy. are getting obscene. I'm telling you right now, if we got one question with Jerry, no joke. This is what I would ask him. Did it bother you? Like, didn't it? Don't you think it took a little bit out of the scene? Like, does, is Kramer acknowledging it? Like, they can't speak for the five or six seconds that they're making the ovation. Do you know what I mean? 
So it's like, is there an alternate time zone where they don't hear it? Well, there is a it point doesn't make any sense. where the ovations are going to go away, right? I don't, th- I, I, we're going to have to track that. I don't think so. I think they, uh, they continue. All the way to season nine, we're going to have Kramer coming in, final episode ovations. Uh, it's not every single episode, but, and again, it, we, I think we've seen now the pattern is it's the first time he walks into Jerry's door, not necessarily the first time we even see him in Jerry's apartment. Yeah. Wish it was like a uh, Yankee game where they would just do like roll call, like uh, until they, the actor acknowledges <laughs> them, the audience. Yeah, but do that before the episode starts. <laughs> George Costanza. Clap, 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 clap. <laughs> Soup Nazi. They're like, ah, oh, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Elaine is tough to say, like, Elaine. That's like a very awkward name to, to yell out. <laughs> you have to do it. Elaine Bennis. So we both have long last names, so like they're they're very good. We would have been great like left fielders in you know for the Yankees. <laughs> sure, but not that I ever would have played for the Yankees. But <laughs> you would have stepped out. I would have stepped. My kids brought home a Yankees bat this week. I don't know how they got it, and I said like I got bad news, guys. Who's going in the garbage? <laughs> in the garbage. <laughs> and they're they're like, who is this monster who's throwing at our toy? And I'm like, we could either like play a game where we ruin it, you know, we like break it with stuff, or. Just one day it's not going to be here and you're not going to remember it existed because you're never going to play with it. Again. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm a great father. But you, would you let if your son came home with a Yankees baseball or a Yankees hat, you would let him have it? I think we would have a conversation. I think we would have a conversation about it. Like, I wouldn't want to uh, I wouldn't want to like make him upset and cry about it. Right. Because then he might become a Yankee fan because a lot of times like, kids want to do like Dad, I hate you. <laughs> Yankees Go <forever>. Dodgers. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Well, <laughs> but uh, this is let's, coming one day because you don't live in New York. I think I uh, know. I know. I gotta move. I gotta move before uh, they've turned like uh, get too old. Okay. Jerry has a funny line about the guy who went to South America. He says that you know people go to South America all the time, and Jerry says, "Yeah," and they come back with things taped to their large intestine. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like if I was South American, this would not be my favorite line of the series. <laughs> the continent? Yeah, I, I feel like... I. So you're you know, impugning an entire continent? Me? You're unimpugning an entire continent. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I shout it to South America. I think that, um, I think, you know, to say that basically, to imply that the only reason that their wealthy, you know, money manager could be going to South America is not some, like, great vacation of Buenos Aires or maybe he has family in uh in Quito Ecuador I don't know but he, that he's going to that he's going there for drugs like by the way the drugs come from there but I don't know if these guys know it like unless he's one of like the five biggest drug dealers in the world you don't actually like even back then in like the in the Pablo Escobar days which were very strong then right he he's still going strong in 1993 you didn't actually go to Colombia to get the drugs unless you were Pablo Escobar. Like, right. You could get you get the drugs in Manhattan very easily. Right. I don't know <laughs> what the deal is. Like, I don't know if it speaks to the fact that he's doing very well or that he is not doing particularly well, that he is the mule in this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, that yeah. speaks to probably things have not been going well for Barry Prophet, that he's become some sort of cocaine mule. In South America. Unless he's recruiting mules. I guess so. Unless he's like going in, like he's having a meeting where now, and now he's not just a drug user. He is now like this drug lord where he's going down to meet with the distributors. I mean, this Barry Prophet, he's got a lot lot going that we never really find out about. Right. 
talk to me about this, Akiva. In this episode, Barry Prophet ultimately, Jerry talks about how he lost all the money he filed for bankruptcy. What happened? Was Barry Prophet ultimately a drug user? I think we have to address this at the very end. I feel okay. like we need to go through it and then really make, uh, you know, a well, just so decision. the listeners are on board for this journey. So we're going to find out at the end of the episode, Barry Prophet is going to declare chapter 11 bankruptcy. And had Jerry been able to get this letter out before a certain time, he would have been entitled to get his money back. We'll discuss uh, the legalities of that. But I think it's very interesting because I think the show leaves it somewhat open-ended as to whether Barry Prophet was a illicit drug user. Yeah, because they really don't give you a ton of evidence that he is, except for the very end. And again, the end doesn't really work, which is one of the reasons why this is probably not a you know highly decorated episode. But uh, I guess we'll we'll get to that when we get to the end. Okay, so we see that Newman comes in, and Newman finds out <laughs> that Barry Prophet went to South America, and he wants to know what kind of snowblower did you get us involved with. <laughs> and then they talk about how they're going to go do some sort of a stakeout. It's going to be some sort of a sting. What do they call this? What are we, Abscab? Abscam, which was like a famous scam where they hooked like a bunch of government people. Did you see American Hustle? Yes. So that's what Abscam is. Okay. That's the, that exact thing. So they're going to go to the stakeout. And it's funny because I don't even know how Newman got involved with this stakeout. Like, give me the mathematical equation of like split up this pie how much money is invested with barry profit i'm gonna say jerry's 80 kramer's 15 and newman's five okay so and give me the so are we saying eighty thousand? Oh no 80 percent. i was giving percentages so, so jerry would be total 40, jerry, that would be if it's 50 grand that they lost right so jerry yeah. would if jerry's 80 then he would be 40 percent. i mean 40 grand and if then if then if uh of the last thousand then uh I, well, Kramer's seven fifty and Newman two fifty. That's too little money. So may, you know, Newman might have to be like a thousand, and Kramer might have to be two thousand. Okay, so five thousand dollars. You said, yeah, I, something like. Well, I mean, Jerry's saying 50. he has all my money. Yeah, so fifty thousand dollars. So Jerry's in for forty thousand. Kramer is in for seventy five hundred, and Newman's in for twenty five hundred. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's too much for Newman. I mean, he's going on the stakeout. He he's clearly going, cares about it. <laughs> I but feel he's, like, the truth is, he's the least affected, right? At the end, he's not mad, even though I guess he's the one who should, you know, who should be the most upset. He screwed up. I feel like Newman's in for like 300 bucks. You could be right. I mean, <laughs> I, I, Newman, I don't know if he's such a saver with his money. Like, I, the post office pays him, but I, I feel like he spends it on, not, on a lot of donuts. Okay. So <laughs> they end up on this stakeout. There's a funny scene where they're talking about how. It's what day is it? It's a Thursday. It feels like a Tuesday. Akiva, does Tuesday have a feel? Tuesday has no feel. Of all the days of the week, Tuesday is the least feel. Least feel for a Tuesday. Uh, we could, if we rank the days of the week by feel, I think Monday's first, right? Monday definitely has a feel. Monday has a feel. Then yeah. I'd say Friday's got a very strong feel. Mm-hmm. Then Saturday. Oh, we're including the weekend? Like Saturday oh, and Sunday probably trump Monday and Friday. Now we do different things on our Saturdays and Sundays. I don't know. I guess so. But uh <laughs> fine. So let's 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 knock out Saturday and Sunday. I mean, Sunday. those are two days that you're not at the office. I mean, those are gonna feel a lot different than like a Saturday feels way different than a Wednesday. Yeah, that's true. Okay, fine. So let's take out Saturday and Sunday. So okay. Monday's one, Friday's two, Wednesday is like clearly Wednesday. It's hump day, right? Yeah. In the middle. 
Then Thursday is fourth. Yeah, Tuesday is definitely last. Tuesday is like, it's not Monday anymore. You've gotten over Monday. You're, side of, you're trapped between the first day of the week and hump day. You're nowhere near Friday. You're not even close to Thursday yet. Yeah, it's five out of five and seven out of seven. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Now, you can debate whether or not it feels like anything. You can't say it doesn't have a feel, right? Right. And, and like Tuesday also, like there's Monday night football, there's Thursday night football, but there's no Tuesday night football. Yeah, but there's you waiver don't even wire. Have like, yeah. There is waiver wire on Tuesdays in most leagues, but but there's but when like Wednesday there's even like the junky like college football game on ESPN. Tuesday yeah. doesn't even have the the like the you know Ball State Central Michigan college football game on ESPN. Okay, so it's that day of there's nothing. That feels like something. So you're saying not? So should we move Tuesday up to one? No, I mean it's a, but it, you can't <laughs> say that it, this day has no feeling. But we're we're spending too much time on this. But we get we're on the same page. Tuesday. When you say we're spending too much, when you said we're spending too much time on this, did you mean the Tuesday debate or talking about a twenty-five-year-old show for two hours? <laughs> <laughs> so Kramer is going to go in on the stakeout, and to me, this is uh, the best scene of the episode. Yeah, I, I, I love when Newman's not like completely opposed to Jerry, and they can like work together a little bit, and like, yeah. and Jerry could just insult Newman. And by and I like when we have a new group of people, also, right? It's like Jerry, yeah. Kramer, Newman. We have never seen this combo of people working together before. Yeah. So here he is, Kramer in the bar, and he's going to go stake out Barry Prophet. And Kramer walks in, and it's so funny because he just sits down next to Barry Prophet, and he just starts, like, monologuing, which I think is pretty funny. And he's sort of just, like, monologuing about how he's this uh, real party guy. Yeah, he's talking to the bartender. He's talking to Barry. It's not even clear. Yeah. And it's so funny, the scene where he comes in and uh, Kramer says, uh, I'll have a brewski, Charlie. And the guy's like, my name's Mitch. Right. He's trying to seem like he's a regular. Yeah. Kramer's like, oh, nothing like a cold one after a long day. He's like, I've been known to drink a beer or two. But then again, I've been known to do a lot of things. And there's this point where the waitress has to go behind the bar and she flips up the thing to get behind the bar and it just cracks Michael Richards in the head. And I was dying. I thought that was so funny. Yeah, this is like very subtle, but really funny uh, <laughs> physical comedy from Kramer, who, by the way, I think if we're keeping track for uh, League of Denial 2, the Cosmo Kramer edition, this is his fourth concussion of the series. I think. <laughs> <laughs> The NFL will have this part cut out. Yeah, they'll have it cut out of the uh, of the Christmas Day movie about Kramer. Yeah. So then Kramer starts smoking. He asks Barry if he wants a cigarette, and Barry says he doesn't touch them. Kramer says, "I suck him down like Coca Cola." Well, he's here to <laughs> feeling good all the time, and he has this lit cigarette, and he's smoking, and then he pounds just a pint of beer at the same time without ever taking the cigarette out of his mouth. This is an incredible scene, by the way. Yeah. He could have he could have won like I, I mean, he was like he basically won an Emmy for this episode. It was so good. And again, from the inside, look, like, that's not in the script. That's just Michael Richards. Yeah, I think they said it took two takes. Yeah. And then he's like doing this business with the cigarette. and He's like flipping the cigarette around. And there's one point where he has the lit end of the cigarette in his yeah. mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And he's the like holding it there. <laughs> and then it's like the the scene where his hair goes on fire. And he doesn't realize after a couple seconds. And then he like spits out the cigarette and flips it around back. It's really amazing. Yeah, I, it, it, like really legitimately good acting. Like he's like Daniel Day-Lewis here, Kramer. 
yeah, I was really just cracking up this entire scene. It was really funny. I just, I really didn't remember this, and it was so funny. Yeah, again, it's not a scene people talk about. It's not an episode people talk about, but like I've laughed more than almost any other episode so far here. If we go back to Jerry and Newman in the car, they're talking about dental floss. Not really sure why Jerry has dental floss in the car, but he's trying to get Newman to try it, and Newman prefers dental tape. Akia, have you ever tried dental tape? I don't even know what tape is, what dental tape is. Yeah. I feel like it's a hammer time thing. Yeah, I never heard of dental tape either. But they're doing it. And then, like, Newman, like, lays the used dental floss on Jerry's car, and Jerry is pretty grossed out. So we go back to Barry and Kramer. Barry tells Kramer he's going to the bathroom, and Kramer says, okay, I'm hip to it. And the guy's like, hip to what? And Kramer tells him the whole scene. Now, do you think, is this a drugs reference or like a, like fun happening in the bathroom reference? Yeah. So is Barry Prophet thinking that Kramer is hitting on him? Is that what you're saying? I th- I'm 90% sure that's what Barry Prophet thinks. Yeah. What Kramer's implying is confusing. But yeah, Prophet clearly thinks he's being hit on. Yeah, I think so. I think that's definitely what Barry Prophet is thinking. So Kramer takes out a duffel bag. And I didn't really know what was going on here. I thought this was maybe Barry Prophet's duffel bag, but I guess this was part of Kramer's spy stuff. And he has a Polaroid camera and he goes into the bathroom and he kicks open the bathroom door and takes a Polaroid of Barry Prophet. Yes, and he's hoping to see Barry Prophet like doing lines off the toilet or the floor or something. Barry Prophet blurts out, hey, what kind of a nut are you? Now, Akiva, what was the picture of? Oh, him on the toilet. So then why do they include that picture in the letter to Barry Prophet? If it's not an incriminating photo, why do they want to send it to him? Rob, a picture of you on the toilet is an incriminating photo. I it's guess just so. not as incriminating as you doing coke. <laughs> like, it's embarrassing, you know what I mean? You wouldn't want someone to post it on Facebook. I guess not, but why? If you have an incriminating photo, if it's hammer time, if it's 1993... And you have an incriminating photo of somebody, giving it to them is not the right move. Oh, no. They have copies of this, clearly, Rob. How? How do you have copies of a Polaroid? Do you t- is it like the thing where you take a Polaroid of the Polaroid? You can't get a copy of a Polaroid at some camera store? No, where's the negative? Oh, I see. I don't know this stuff. You're already over my head with this stuff. Oh, so they're really dumb. Yeah. But I guess what value does it have to them to have this picture? They're just doing it to embarrass him. Like, ah. You know, well, you don't embarrass somebody by giving them the incriminating photo. Just the fact that they have it and they've seen it and maybe everyone in the neighborhood's seen it. That's a little embarrassing, probably. I guess so. Again, you like Kramer and Newman's logic is not always sound. Okay. well, let's go to George and Mr. Farkas. And Mr. Farkas wants to know if George has any experience selling the women's line. And George talks about how his whole life he was enthralled by the idea of brassiers. Mr. Farkas is like, tell me more about it. <laughs> and he tells the saga of being a 14-year-old finding a brassier in his friend's bathroom that belonged to his mom, and he studied it, and he knew that he wanted to be around these. <laughs> and Farkas is eating this up. He loves it. <laughs> That's an incredible story. So he ends up hiring him. He says, I'll see you on Monday at 9 o'clock, because Monday has a feel. Specifically, Monday 9 o'clock has a feel. <laughs> and George says, if you don't mind, I'll be here at 8. Be here at 8. <laughs> Excellent. George is now riding high. It seems like George really wanted this job. I mean, he crushed the interview. He, at the end, when he says, two cups in the front, two loops in the back, how do they do it? Like, he's legitimately amazed. Yeah. Also, I think he wants to get out of his parents' house. Like, to hear him, this is an opportunity to get a real job and get out of his lunatic parents' house. 
So Farkas is really, really impressed with George. He says, uh, well, I think I can say, barring some unforeseen incident, that you'll have a very bright future here at E.D. Grandmont. So very exciting with Mr. Farkas. Now, Akiva, something interesting about Farkas is that he will return to the show. Yeah, so Farkas returns as himself in the Man's Ear episode, right? Well, is he playing himself? Yes, he returns as Sid Farkas. Okay, but this Fark, the guy who's playing him is actually Sid Farkas? Uh, the guy who's playing him returns as Sid Farkas, correct. But the actor's name is Sid Farkas? Oh, no, the actor is Patrick Cronin. Oh, you said he returns as himself. I meant, oh, uh, okay, so let me, let me say the distinction, because there's a lot of wacky things going on with the characters in this episode. Yes. Because, so now he walks out, when, why don't you take us through, and then I'll, I'll, I'll sort of give you part two of what I was saying. Okay, so Farkas is going to return in the episode The Doorman. And he's going to be the person that Frank and Kramer pitch the bro slash Manzir to. And Farkas, in that episode, has the line about it. He's very impressed with the, with the Manzir slash bro. And he says, barring any unforeseen developments, gentlemen, I think we're sitting on a winner. <laughs> so Farkas seems that that's like his catchphrase of like, uh, barring any unforeseen developments. And then cut to immediately something terrible happening. Yeah, and there's a whole chart like this. It actually they start saying this a bunch of times. Uh, the rest of the series it becomes like a running joke. Yeah. So he says, barring any unforeseen incident, I think you're gonna have a great career. George walks right out of the office, goes stands by the elevator, sees a very attractive woman, and then starts feeling her material on her shirt. I mean, his his confidence is sky high. Yes. So I, you know. You sort of think that George thinks he's on top of the world. He doesn't realize that his boss has a boss who has a boss. And so we know that. she says, uh, what are you doing? Who's this lunatic? And then immediately, <laughs> Mr. Farkas comes out and says, this is our uh, new salesman. And she says, it's either him or you. And Farkas tells George he's fired. Now, this scene is very, I wrote down, this is very like Caroline in the City or Just Shoot Me-ish. The acting isn't really good here. <laughs> he says, you know, she's like, if he's here on Monday, you're not. Take a pick. That's like a line they would have said on a bad episode of Saved by the Bell. Okay. <laughs> so he is fired. So sorry, George. Now, the distinct, sorry, the distinction I was making between Sid Farkas and the, and the, uh, the female boss here is so I, when I said he plays himself, you know, he comes back as, uh, you know, as Sid Farkas, whereas uh, the, the, his boss here, the lady, she, uh, Ellen, uh, did whatever, did Gromant, she comes back as George's girlfriend in another episode as a totally different character, which to me, I don't mind if like the doorman or, or you know, the, the, the busboy one day or now I'm giving like very terrible examples, but I don't mind if a minor character becomes another minor character. But for someone who fired George to become a different character at least like make her the same person who like, ah, George is dating someone who fired her. You know, they're back together. It's like, why are they same this person in the universe twice? I don't really like that. Yeah, I hear that. At least put a wig on her. Yeah, pretend that it's not the same person. Like different, she comes back with a different name in the doodle and she dates George. But, you know, it's too, it, you know, and it's it, next season. It's too close for comfort. Okay. So we see Elaine in the office with Mr. Lippman. And he has some problems with her final edit. He says that Elaine is putting too many exclamation points. And he gives some examples that Elaine had in there 
I was chilly and I put on my sweatshirt. Exclamation, Exclamation point. point. <laughs> and then another time uh, he had in there, I put my money in the machine and the Clark bar didn't come out. Exclamation point uh, added, I guess, by Elaine. So my question, Akiva, is did Elaine add extra exclamation points to the Jake Jarmel manuscript after he told her that he hates exclamation points? And was this a revenge move where she ruined his manuscript by adding exclamation points? Yeah, this is like T-Bone uh, burning down Andre Risen's house. This is like, okay, they broke up and now... Now, uh, you know, now she's going to go and uh, put in all these exclamation points as a punishment and make him look bad or have them take him out. Clearly, he didn't put them in because he's anti exclamation point. And even Lippman says it's after your final edit, Elaine. So why doesn't Elaine get fired from her job after this? Because uh, Lippman is a very mild mannered character half the time who likes Elaine. Uh, you know, I-, I think that maybe he thinks she's going for a wacky style like this is the new thing. I'm not sure. Like, I don't know if you fire someone the first time they make a mistake. I think this was hard to read in terms of whether Elaine just likes exclamation points or whether she did this to get back at Jake Jarmel. So do you feel like, is this vague also? It is vague. But one of the weird things in this episode is we have like the whole George scene in season eight. That's like five episodes where he's working at the bra company and then he gets fired. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And here it happens in one scene. So the same thing, like we only see Libman once. This all has, has to happen in one scene, so it kind of has to be rushed. Okay. Let us know in the comments what you guys think about both of these uh, very vague issues that we're talking about in this episode. So we end up now with working on the termination letter. And I think it's funny that they are basically telling Barry Prophet that they don't want to be involved with him anymore, exclamation point, and Newman is going to mail it. And then we see Kramer slips the Polaroid into the envelope. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, th- and I do like that they're tying it in because the storylines don't really tie in. The Jarmel storyline could have tied in much better with, um, with the main storyline with Jerry and, uh, and Kramer and Newman. But, you know, the fact that they're bringing up the exclamation points at least gives it some sort of connection that it's in the same universe. Yes. And so we see a pizza guy come in and the pizza guy starts sniffing. And immediately, uh, the pizza guy realizes that it's mohair. He's allergic to mohair. The sweater is making him sniff. Yeah, and we've almost forgotten about the sweater. So it was very subtle that they put this in. Yeah. And so (laughs) they realize, oh, my God, we just fired Barry Prophet. And this is a uh, a major problem because we've also included the picture of him on the toilet. (laughs) What Kramer mentions is casually as Jerry Lee. Yeah, what was the picture of him on the toilet? Uh, Don't worry about it. All right. But I also I like that uh, it's very 90s where Jerry leaves and then realizes he heard the thing like he didn't notice the first time. Yes. And then reenters the apartment like you said, what? It's such a 90s sitcom trope. All right. So now Newman heads down to the mailbox and you would think that Newman could just take it with him to work, but he's going to go use the mailbox. I guess he wants to make use of all of the fine accommodations from the postal service. And so He's going to go down to the mailbox and he runs into a woman at the mailbox. And Akiva, this woman looks familiar. Does she? Yes. Because 
This is the same woman who worked in George's office in The Revenge. This is the same woman that she kept like trying to out George and George was going to pull her wig off. Uh, but it, now, but is it the same person? I don't know. I mean, I don't see any reason why it couldn't be the same person. She's not even credited, so I can't answer from the Seinfeld universe perspective. But it's definitely the same person. Yeah, no, but you're good with that. I'm, I'm, I have no like facial recognition, so if she's yeah. not in the credits, I got no clue. And so, and then Newman sees her at the mailbox and tries to rub the fabric on her shirt. And then she ends up like calling for some guy. And then Newman like runs for it. I've never seen Newman run so fast in my life. Yeah. New- Maybe now skinny Newman in the, in the DVD commentary, he could run, but not fat Newman. Yeah, I guess so. And so that Newman drops the letter on the floor. Yeah. So then we end up with George and Frank and George is getting reamed out by his dad for feeling the material. What can be gained by feeling a person's material? Whatever happened to, excuse me, may I have this dance? And this is one of the rare scenes also where Estelle and Frank are on the same page. Like they're both, you know, con- uh, united in their in their hatred of uh, George because we rarely see them not yelling at each other. Yeah. Estelle like hits George with something. Yeah. Like a, maybe a glamour magazine. Yeah. So we go to the last scene in the restaurant and we have Kramer and Elaine sitting there. And so Elaine is saying, boy, you're, you're really lucky that Newman never mailed the letter. And here's Jerry to say, well, he just came from a meeting with the lawyer. And it turns out that Barry Prophet is filing chapter 11. He's bankrupt. Bankrupt as in I've taken your money and spent it on drugs. Now, I doubt the lawyer's letter letter said that. So that's just speculation. Yes. And it turns out that if Jerry would have gotten his letter in the mail, he would have been able to get his money back. But he could not. Can't, wait, by the way, Newman works for the post office. Couldn't he post date something for them with the, with this letter? Uh, if he wants to commit mail fraud. Newman commits mail fraud many times <laughs> during the course of the series. <laughs> so here comes Newman who comes in there. And Newman is like happy and dancing. And I don't really understand why. They never explain why Newman is so happy. Probably because he only lost like 250 bucks we established. I guess so. And so he wants like three bear claws. And like Jerry's going up to Newman like he's going to go tell him off. And then a woman comes up to Jerry and like rubs his shirt. And she says, oh, this is nice. What is this made out of? And he's like, half silk, half cotton, half linen. And that's like the end of the episode. Yeah, so not a great ending. Uh, By the way, I have a note. What's a bear claw? It's like a donut. It's like a type of donut. Oh, I see. It's a little more Danish. It's kind of a Danish. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I had never just heard that term, but it looks good, actually. Yeah. And then, so, the final bit of stand-up in the episode is that Jerry is talking about how he actually did get money stolen from him, which we've discussed. And so the reason that somebody who might take drugs, uh, if they have a really boring job, if they're an accountant, then he thinks it's okay for somebody like that to take drugs. I mean, I think that is true, right? Like the people who, I don't know if it's boring. I think people who hate their jobs are more likely to do drugs, right? You want to escape? Sure. But typically you have people who are, you know, these athletes and people who are having these fast lifestyles, they get into drugs. These people that maybe, uh, you know, if they have if they have nothing else going on, it's boring. Maybe uh, they should be doing drugs, according to. But also athletes and like celebrities, like they have very exciting lives, but they also have a ton of downtime because usually they're their own bosses or they only play 16 games a year or something. So part of it is boring, like in the downtime sense. Is that what it is that people do drugs because they're bored? 
Yeah, you can't do. I, I mean, I don't actually. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that people like self medicate because uh, either I guess if you're a young person, maybe because you, you have nothing else going on. But I think as you get older, I think it's more about self medicating. I don't know. That's a yeah, different podcast, not, probably. Yeah, not probably not. We probably wouldn't be the two key guys for right. that podcast. So let's go back and let's talk about the end of this episode because it is somewhat vague whether or not Barry Prophet was actually on drugs. Do you, or do you feel like it's not vague? Do you feel like that we have definitive proof Barry Prophet was indeed a coke-sniffing accountant? I think if they wanted us to think that, and I think it's possible that they do want us to think that, then they didn't do a great job. They should have given us one more clue because there's really, other than the sniffing, which is not enough of itself, he goes to the bathroom, he doesn't do drugs. You know, he's not interested. When Kramer's being weird, he's not like, hey, do you want some coke or whatever, anything like that. He's just having a drink at the bar by himself, which isn't the best thing in the world, but it's very common. I think, uh, you know, they they either left it open ended for, you know, to let the audience decide, which is fine, or they did a very poor job. But I think comedically, they could have given us a little bit more at the end. And, you know, the storylines could have tied in a little bit more together also. Is there anything you see that we could have tied in? I mean, I may, yeah, I think Jake Jarmel could have been like his drug dealer or something. Jake Jarmel could have been his drug dealer. Could have been, <laughs> or, or he could have dealt, or he could have dealt uh, drugs to Jake Jarmel, and he would have like put his order in, like wrote in a piece of paper, and was like, you know, can I please have, uh, uh, you know, a Molly exclamation point. Yeah, and that's how the episode ends. <laughs> All right, listen, this needs to be workshopped. It's not perfect. Yeah, it does need to be workshopped. Maybe there's something with the bra store. Oh, maybe they're like, maybe he's uh, using the bras to like, uh, you know, stash drugs in or something. As a drug runner. Yeah. So I don't really know. Um, In terms of 2015 to uh, 1993, is there anything else? Uh, We said that George wouldn't be a underwear salesman. We talked about how nobody leaves a message anymore. Is there anything else that would not have played? Is anybody still allergic to mohair? I feel like if you're not, if you're not, uh, they say now, like if you're, um, like if you give your kids peanuts when they're really young, then they won't have any peanut allergies. So just like dress your kids in mohair for like the first six months of their life and they're totally fine. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Akiva, where do you rank this episode? Okay. So now this is really like a little behind the scenes here. Like when I first did my initial rankings, I had the scene lower and I kind of had to make like an emergency, you know, meeting with myself. And I said, uh, this has, to, I have to move it up. It was a little outside the top 100. And I said, it made me laugh. Uh, I, I think as a whole episode, it's not a great episode of television, but there's a lot of scenes that really made me laugh. So I think you're going to have it a lot higher than me. But uh, well, I don't I'm do gonna, rankings. Know, I know. But in your in theory, okay, uh, I'm going to put it at 98. 98? No, I don't think I would have it much higher than that. I mean, I feel like it's an episode with some really fun laughs, but... Ultimately, not one with a amazing plot. No, there's almost no plot, and you know the ending is very unsatisfying. But I laughed hard enough that you know I had to throw it into the top hundred. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Akiva, let's get into some Seinfeld email. Okay. Let's. Of course, every week this comes into us from Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. We love to hear from you guys about stuff, and so let's bounce around with some of your emails. Let's start with Craig. Uh, Craig from Vancouver, he wants to know about, uh, he can see why Michael Richards won the Emmy for this. Well-deserved. The drinking scene is really something. I doubt many people could pull something like that off. Did he win an Emmy for this episode or did he win for the season? 
No, you don't win. Actors don't win Emmys for episodes. The actors win Emmys for season. Writers win Emmys for for episodes. Okay. Also, Craig talks about the bra plot line. He says this story comes from Larry David's experience as a bra salesman. I think that being a bra salesman would be a great job for someone to meet women. I mean, what woman wouldn't want to date a bra salesman? You think that they know a fair deal about breasts and you would never have to buy a bra again. One thing that's interesting about George is that barring some unforeseen incident, uh, see what I did there, when he has to do an interview, he usually nails it. There are many times in the series where he has to be interviewed and he just nails it. It goes with George's character that he can lie and bullcrap his way into any job. The people who are interviewing him just have to know I have to not know him beforehand. So that's interesting. That's a very good point. I think 30 minutes of George is just the right amount of George for him to succeed. Once you get into like a few weeks, that's when he's chasing you around in the cart and stuff like that. That's, that's when it goes bad for George. Here's an email about last week's show from Regis Cleary, who says, uh, Hey, Rob and Keeve, as an impromptu medical correspondent who happened to listen to a podcast about the rabies uh, from last week, I figured I'd impart my knowledge to you. Rob, you mentioned that rabies is not fatal when, in fact, if left untreated, it is 100% fatal. Not until 2004 did the first untreated person survive rabies. Doctors induced the woman into a coma based on the hypothesis that a partial shutdown in brain function could give the immune system more time to fight off the disease. Luckily for Elaine, the vaccine is 100% effective. So I guess once you have the rabies symptoms, you're done for. That's why they have to give you the shot. Yeah, even if like, I know like uh, in camp, I remember like a bat flew near like a few kids. And just to be sure, they give you the shot. Because it's like one in 50,000 that it went near you. Like, it's not like the kids were saying, oh, the bat bit me. It's like the bat may have scraped my coat. But it's not worth not getting the shots because you die if it actually bit you and you don't get the shots. Right. But but the, the key Seinfeld question here is Bob Sacamano had rabies. And Bob Sacamano is clearly alive, according to, you know, Kramer's still talking about him. But did he have um, rabies symptoms? Oh, so you think he just like he would have had rabies like he was bit by a rabid dog and Kramer's sort of like taking a little bit of a liberty there. That's possible. Yeah, I think if you get bit by a rabid dog and then you don't get the shot, then you will apparently die. Yes. If you get bit by a rabbit dog and then you get the shot, you should be okay. Correct, correct. So, but you don't have rabies yet. But I guess Kramer's just taking a little bit of a liberty. But that uh, goes for the course with Bob Sacamano. Right. Johnny De Severa wants to let us know that his dad went to college with John Kapalosis's brother, the guy who played Barry Prophet. Yeah, Kapalosis. By the way, guess how many followers on Twitter he has? How many? Uh, over three thousand. He's doing well. Wow. <laughs> and so. Larry David, also who wrote the episode with Jerry, researched the running joke of feeling other people's clothes by doing so himself, assessing the fabric and everybody's reaction. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. That's all. The truth is, did that really work? All the fabric touching in the episode? I guess it was fine. I can imagine. Also, Johnny says that the wool sweater worn by Jerry and later Kramer, it, which causes Barry to sniff, is the same sweater worn by George's date in season three, The Boyfriend. Oh, who knew that? Oh, that's, in um, that's interesting. Wait, is it? No, is that the, does the, I think he, because that's when the mom wants George to date uh, the daughter to get, right, to, to get the uh, six, you know, the more unemployment time or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, so did the mom wear the sweater or the, or the daughter? Now, I, now I think the mom may have worn the sweater. <laughs> we'll have to ask Keith Hernandez when we interview him. That's right. That's the first question for Keith. I mean, no, we, truth is we may need to do. I th if the Mets are doing well, you're going to have to start doing some Mets podcasts in October, Rob. Okay, fair enough. It doesn't and have we'll, to be with me. You want to do with Keith, you could do with Keith. 
<laughs> sure. <laughs> so here's an email from Colin who says, uh, hey guys, it's Colin, the delivery guy expert. Do you remember we had a delivery guy expert? Yeah, we, got, we have a whole team right now. We got to make a list. Okay. Colin says, as a pizza guy, I've delivered to some of the same customers for four years. And I literally don't know the names of any of the customers. Some of the people I've delivered dozens, if not hundreds of times. How the hell does Ralph, the pizza guy, know both Kramer and Jerry's name? And how did they know this? How many times does this guy deliver to them? Perhaps this all fits in with the Kramer is a drug dealer theory, and he's Ralph's hookup. Also, Ralph doesn't even ask Jerry if he wants change after Jerry hands him the money. This is a definite no-no. The customer should always be asked if they want any change. Colin. So I love that we have people that are out there, experts in the field, when any of these occupations come up and let us know the protocol on these things. Yeah, I hope we get a bra salesman expert because we've got a lot of questions for them. We have a lot of questions about the bra salesman. Like, I hope we have a uh, proctologist out there for... Uh, oh, what, Rob, I got, a, I got a good one. I have a good one A for good you. proctologist? No, uh, I don't know any proctologists. Those guys are funny. Although, well, Kramer says they know all the best jokes. Yeah. But uh, next week is the Briss, right? Yes. I, I have a friend who's a mole. Okay. So do we have any questions for the mole? Well, they should watch the episode and then let us know anything that we need to know. Okay. So they should watch the episode and then he should, you know, he'll give us his mole report on the episode. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Uh, more email. Let's go to Amir. Amir says a few points. Last week, Akiva said he thinks that Bob Sacramento is fake. The only problem with that theory is that the following exchange takes place in the fatigues in season eight. Elaine says, uh, hey, Jer, are you going to this Bob Sacramento party? Am I going? It was three nights ago. And Elaine says, what? You're kidding? I got the invitation today. I was so excited. And Jerry says it was a lovely affair. So Jerry actually attended the Bob Sacramento party. Proves Bob Sacramento is real. Now, Bob, he doesn't say, oh, yeah, I had a great time with Bob. It was a Bob Sacramento party. That could be like a Sadie Hawkins party. Sadie oh. Hawkins isn't at the Sadie Hawkins party, is she? I've never, I never went, I don't know, I didn't go to like any parties like that, I don't know, but I'm assuming she's not there. So Bob Sacamano, uh may not exist, that just might be a type of party. Interesting. Do you wear a rat hat at that party? I think so, and you, and they give out defective condoms. Which, oh boy. By the way. <laughs> yeah. Task. That's the best. And then also Amir wants to know, did anybody else notice that George is reading a Glamour magazine on his parents' couch and he has a screenshot included? It seems bizarre that George would ever do that again at his parents' house and his mother would even allow him to look at it. That's the kind of incident that no one needs reminding of. This is the second time we've seen George with a Glamour magazine at his parents' house. Post-contest. Post-contest, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that, that ship has sailed, George. You find, start reading like uh, Allure or something else. Allure. Get rid of Glamour. All right. And last email, Seinfeld at Post Show Recaps, is from Chester, who wants to know, number one, why is Jake taking Elaine's messages anyway? Doesn't she have an answering machine, right? Uh, yeah, of course she has an answering machine. But listen, again, back then you answered people's phones for them because everyone was a psychopath. Also, Chester wants to know, is starting a fight with someone over failing to use an exclamation point in the taking down of a message the dumbest fight somebody has started with a significant other yet? I mean, it's insane. Yes. I'm we actually there are some stupid Jerry breaks up with people for much stupider reasons later in the series. But I mean, for punctuation, yeah, that's pretty dumb. Yes. And then Chester says this was a timely episode for him because he just had a debate with his mother and his visiting mother-in-law. That sounds like a fun time. 
about exclamation mark versus exclamation point. So what do you think about this? Is there an exclamation mark or exclamation point? And now you just blew my mind. What have we been saying the whole time? We've been saying exclamation point, right? Yes. I don't think we've ever said exclamation mark. Question mark. I don't think, I don't even think, yeah, I don't think exclamation mark is even a thing. Yes. Internet search tells Chester that mark is more common. It makes more sense. We don't call them question points, but I can't find any evidence of regional differences. So maybe it's just personal preference. Are you guys markers or pointers? Well, we clearly are exclamation points. Errs. <laughs> yes. I have never even heard the, the, the phrase exclamation mark. We're from totally different parts of the country. So like you said, it's not regional. Maybe it's American versus non-American. I don't know. Yeah. I don't like know. Maybe our, Cana- maybe our Canadian uh, listeners, maybe they call it an exclamation mark. Okay. I, I'm not sure. Well, we'll ask Johnny DeSilvera. Craig from Vancouver. Yes. And Scott St. Pierre. <laughs> okay. All right. And then finally, how much is Jerry now down throughout the entire series? Well, we said he was like down like... You know, about 5,000 from the stock tip. I think we had him down to like 7,000. 7, mm-hmm. So let's put him now at down. Well, it's 50 grand here, but only 40 of it was Jerry we're saying, right? Yeah. So now he's down 47 grand, according to our tally. Okay, great. But he's going to be even. He's, he always ends up even. He will. It'll all work out. Because when that syndication money starts coming in, Jerry's going to be way up. The syndication money, no, but that's not that's not this Jerry. That's real life Jerry, <laughs> fake Jerry. The, the, you think there's syndication money from the one episode that aired on TV on NBC? Yes, I doubt that ever re-aired. Is there a channel that only shows failed pilots? Yes, and they air it every By day. By the way, at seven. wouldn't you wouldn't you watch a channel like if you were bored and had nothing to watch on television? I know that never happens. You're a busy guy, but wouldn't you sit down and watch a channel where they just had failed pilots that you'd never seen before? Am I drinking? You can. <laughs> you can. I feel like I would never be so bored to actually do that. But maybe if it's like a party and people are like, we were going to like make fun of stuff, that'd be fine. If they were like, here are the 10 worst pilots ever filmed. Yeah. You'd do it that. You'd watch. Seems appealing, but again, I don't know if I'd ever sit down. And You're do saying it. five minutes in, you'd be like, oh, okay, that was a funny idea. Funny but idea. Theory, right. There's so many things okay. that I'm not watching that I'd like to be watching. I can't imagine sitting and watching too many failed pilots. Uh, you'll do. I uh, listen. I know you do it to get out of watching the genius. That I know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you one of these genius guys? Yeah, I've been on the genius since day one. I don't since day I, one. Well, I, I think um, if we want to track the the English uh, sort of like obsession with the genius, I think what happened was Colin Stone tweeted about it in probably January, and I think I started watching it basically right then. I think he mentioned it. I'm like, oh, I'll check it out. And I think I started watching it immediately. The, the, it's it's a little bit like veganism, so maybe that's why you didn't know that I watched it. I think I've mentioned a couple times on the episode, but um, like people who like like vegans talk all day about how they're into veganism. Yeah. So if like, you don't talk about the genius fifty times a day, then people probably assume you're not watching it. Okay, got it. So you didn't talk <laughs> about it that much. Not not enough, I guess, for people to know. Like I it's I didn't get a tattoo on my forehead that said it's the best show ever <laughs> yet. Okay. <laughs> We have an RHAP podcast uh, coming up about it where somebody tries to explain to me about what all the fuss is about. So look for that coming soon. But you've still only seen one episode? I, I don't even remember what I saw. I saw like oh, probably. Rob. Uh, is, are you, are you gonna, ever going to watch more than that yes, one episode? Yes. yes. Okay. That has you to- have, I'm, te- I'm telling you, Rob, everyone I give it to loves it uh, without fail. I mean, I wouldn't show it to like my wife. I know she wouldn't care in the first place, but right. anyone who's willing to sit down and watch more than one episode loves it and it only gets better so you have that to look forward to 
Uh, it's and uh, the problem is it's uh, you really have to focus because you can't look at your phone since it's in Korean. Okay. You know, there's you know the subtitles on the bottom of the screen, but you you know you need to be watching. So as most television you can watch on your phone here you can't. Akiva, what should I watch first, The Genius or Review Season Two? I, it's a good question. Review Season Two is very good, but not as good as Review Season One. Uh, I'd say. I, I want you to watch both. Um, start with the genius, though. I think the problem is you're not going to be if you actually like it, you're going to stop podcasting for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> so that's like my entertainment. So maybe just watch review. OK, you got it. All right. So we have uh, the Briss is coming up next week. Yeah, correct? we're going to hear from Simcha the Mole. Oh, OK. <laughs> well, that's my friend, not the guy, not the mole in the show. <laughs> All right. So we will uh, get into that next week. What's the hashtag for this episode? OK. Like or spandex? Uh, we could do like or spandex, uh, unforeseen incident, <laughs> unforeseen incident. Great. I like both of those. All right. So, uh, use those hashtags at Keeve 26, K E E V 26. Akiva, how close are you getting to the end of your football podcasting this preseason? I believe we've recorded 28 out of the 32 episodes already. Uh, we're almost done. Uh, I'll say if you wanted to check one out, and by the way, we also have in addition to looking them up on, uh, iTunes under 32 fans in 32 days. I think we have tinyurl.com uh, slash 32 days. You can get them actually on a website. Okay. Um, that's too long. Like the actual link is too long, but that's uh, tinyurl.com slash 32 days. And uh, the one I'll recommend this week is uh, we had um, Arhap and uh, Big Brother Great Jordan Parhar on to talk about the sixth ranked Dallas Cowboys. That was fun. Very exciting. Yeah. Okay. All right, Akiva. Great stuff. Uh, thanks to Mike Moore for this episode's recap on postshowrecaps.com. And also uh, thanks to Scott St. Pierre who edits the episode. Let's get our five-star review of the week real quick. We asked people to uh, put some keywords in the review this week. Speaking of, speaking of reviews, are you ready to see what came in? Yeah, I didn't know anyone did it. That's great. Okay, here's a couple of them. This is from Wakeman. 8791, who says, I've been listening for a few months, and I truly enjoy this podcast. Rob and Akiva have great chemistry and offer a bit of humor in sports with every episode. You also hear other interesting tidbits from Seinfeld's iconic past. Keep it up. It's hammer time. I like the bit of humor. Not too much, but we give them a bit of humor. Yes. Uh, we got a two-star review this week. Oh, no, we did not. Yeah, we I'm did. annoyed. <laughs> well, it would have been so long. I want to hear all about it. Art Corvillet says, uh, these guys are enjoyable. I like the personalities, but I don't like the podcast. They spend too much time talking about themselves or go into tangents for many minutes. Sometimes it could take 15 minutes to get back to Seinfeld. Trivia is decent, but not plentiful. Stick to Seinfeld topics. If you don't mind long, random, off-topic discussions, this would be a decent Seinfeld podcast. If you're looking Oof. for jam-packed Seinfeld discussion, look elsewhere. I mean, that's oh, fair. I mean, I can't yes. say that that is an unfair characterization of this show. <laughs> yeah, uh, but he posted the same thing on on uh, on Reddit. So what exactly does this guy? And I didn't see that, but I it's, it's the exact same review. Somebody posted something on Reddit about Seinfeld podcast, and he must have posted the exact same thing. So what's his beef? Does he hate you? Like, is this is this somebody you no, voted I don't out? Think so I, I think this is somebody that is just. Uh, not interested in us, only interested in Seinfeld, isn't interested in any of the non sequitur. I mean, I, I have no issue with that. I think that, like it was a very fair and not, you know, 
wrong characterization of this show. We do go on tangents. Sometimes it might take 15 minutes to get back to what we were talking about. If you were looking to only hear about the Seinfeld episode and no other conversation that is somehow related to the episode, then you probably will not like this show. I would agree. If you don't like the tangents, then definitely it's not for you. If you don't think we're funny or there's only a bit of humor. Actually, the guy who liked us said there was a bit of humor. Forget that. Yeah. Um, that That's fine. Um, yeah, if you wanted a hardcore Seinfeld show, I agree. But I think it's a little bit of a misnomer only because like, we really do go scene by scene and discuss like every little thing that happens. Uh, there's just other stuff also thrown. Right. That's why that's why the shows are an hour and a half and not 40 minutes. Right. If we only stuck to brass tacks of what's going on, right, it would be a much shorter show. I don't think we shortchange you on anything, but we probably maybe give you stuff you don't want also. Oh, I'm sure <laughs> we give plenty of people stuff we don't want. Well, a couple of people told me, like, I'm not a big Seinfeld fan, but I listen. <laughs> uh, so I just fast forward when you talk about Seinfeld and I go to the tangents. Yes. And then one other person left us a review this week. This is a Surrender to Temptation. It will be pretty good. I know what you're going through with the Seinfeld podcast. I, too, once fell under the spell of this five-star podcast. It was 1979. I was traveling to Yangtze in search of a Mongolian horsehair vest. I had to squint to see the market after sundown. All of the clothing traders had gone. But a different sort of trader still lurked about. Just a taste, Mr. Met said. That was all it took. White Lotus, Yam Yam, Shanghai Sally, Amazon Rob. <laughs> wow. Excellent. Well done. Wait, but how many stars did Five. they give us? Oh, beautiful. Five. All right. So that's t- equal, all three combined. That's four stars. That's great. That's what Titanic got. Four <laughs> stars. That's good. <laughs> all right. So there you go. All right. If you want to leave us a review, especially uh, if it's very creative, we always like to hear them, especially uh, on the show. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. We are sitting at 97 ratings right now. So we're only three ratings away from 100. Oh, yeah. I was going to I was going to like promise to do something crazy when we got to 100. But now it's so close. I don't even need to promise anything. Yeah. 200. Two, if we get to 200 next week, I'll... Uh... For next week? <laughs> no, that's not possible. <laughs> Maybe we'll board up by the end of 2015. If we get to 200, what do you, anything you want. What do you want from me? Hmm. Yeah, we'll think about it. Okay. I'll trade you any player on my uh, on my fantasy team. <laughs> yeah. Let us know in the comments on iTunes. I'll do an intra-league trade to any listener's team. Right. Postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. All right. Have a good one, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.